Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church this morning, and a very Merry Christmas Eve to you. Let's begin with a prayer. Heavenly Father, every year at this time, we get to have the time and the ability to just think at the marvel of your Son, Jesus Christ, the miracle of his birth, God and man, and why he came, so that he would die for the sins of the world. Father, today let us once again worship him and let us also understand that that all we got to do is believe in him and we're saved and just a wonderful life where everything changes in our hearts and our spirits. So we want to just thank you for your magnificent grace and giving things to us that we definitely don't deserve. We also pray that this be a great time for every one of us to be able to have spend time with our loved ones, be able to enjoy who we are in Christ and and be able to witness to others who may not yet believe. So we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you could stand now, we're going to sing a congregation song. And I think you did such a good job this morning. We're going to sing another song at the end. How about that? All right. Again, Merry Christmas, everybody. And uh, this morning, again, I just wish the same happiness for you and all your family and friends and loved ones. And this morning, um, again, we just look at this. Hopefully, you can look at this from the simplicity of a child. Both the child who's born... And how a children looks at things. This is a time of year for children. With that in mind, please turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 1. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 1. In this passage, Jesus reminds and challenges his disciples, and us to keep a simplicity in our hearts, to to understand that without him we're nothing, to understand that everything about our spiritual life is just by means of faith. And like a little child would look at things, particularly with respect to his family and his parents and and his friends, and understand that, that there is right and wrong, to understand that He is loved, or she. And that's what we get to do, especially on Christmas, if we choose to. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. 
At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Unless you become like children. At Christmas time, you know, unless we become like children again, we miss out on the wonder of what Christmas is all about. And so every year, at the end of our year, we get to go back to the beginning of the story. We get to go back to Christmas and the birth of a child and the angels and the kings. And so, and we do that, if we come at it again like a child, we will see once again that all things are new. All things are new. When you think about it, that's really the essence of being a child, after all. If you think about it, when, when a child is born and young, there are all these first times for things. Everything looks new. And I think that's a one-time thing in the human realm because, you know, the second time you have veal parmesan, you know, it's old hat, and you may not really have that same, wow, if you like that or you hate it, you know, whatever. But it's a, it's a first. Child experience things for the first time. And in that, there is wonder. There's a first time for everything. The first time the child loses a tooth. That may be not too pleasant, but then when he goes to bed that night and he finds some money under his pillow, he's like, wow, this is pretty cool. The first day of school. I mean, I don't know about you, but many of us can still remember what it was like to go to school for the first time. And there was wonder in it and anxiety. And then the first broken bone. Maybe you haven't had the pleasure of that, but I certainly have. And I remember the first time. It was very traumatic. But I also noticed how much love people had and care at the time of that. So, so there's a first time for everything in life. And the great thing about Christmas is that every year, if we come at it like a little child would, everything about that baby, Jesus Christ, is also once again new. After all, the birth of Jesus was something entirely new, wasn't it? I don't simply mean a new baby, although that in and of itself certainly comes with its own wonder. I wonder if his eyes will stay blue. I wonder what he or she will grow up to become. I wonder when those terrible twos are going to hit. Wonder. But the birth of Jesus Christ was completely new. It was unprecedented. It was one of a kind. After all, the, the, a virgin gave birth to him. When we stop seeing the miracle of that, we lose a lot of the wonder of Christmas. But if we think about it as a, as a young person, as a little child would, then we, we see once again, this is amazing. This is one in once ever situation. It doesn't happen. So that's, that's the essence and the understanding that the birth of Christ was entirely new. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was a virgin and conceived by the Holy Spirit. And, he was, and the angels told his mom and his dad to name him Jesus. Why? Because he would save people from their sins. That's what the word Jesus means. Savior, the one who saves. He had to be named Jesus because he and only he saves people from their sins. He was proclaimed by angels as the Son of the Most High. The Son of God. And, and again, a little child can understand simply that, look at all around me. I know that there's somebody who created all of this. I have to know there has to be somebody greater than anything else, even greater than my mom and my dad, who created me. And who cares about me. And yet, when I look at Christmas and I look at that little baby, the Bible tells me, and the child would take this by faith, that God became man. That's the miracle of Christmas. The Son of the Most High. The Son of God. Imagine that. 
how wonderful that is. How simple it is. How necessary it is. He would receive, he will receive, because this is still future, the throne of his father David. David, the greatest king of the Old Testament. Whom the Lord promised would have a descendant, a son who would sit on his throne forever. That son is Jesus Christ. So he's, so he's not only God, but human. You know, it's funny. We look at it, and well, we should, that, that it's hard to even get our arms around the idea that God would take form of man, that Jesus is man and God. But from the point of view of the angels, you know what the miracle was? It was the other way around. They knew the Son of God. They're in heaven, after all. The miraculous thing, the gracious thing, the thing that they couldn't get their angel wings around was the fact that he became a man. Imagine that. And, and, and he is going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. Forever. The nation of Israel. Jesus will be on the throne of his father David forever. And his kingdom will have, get this, no end. I don't know if you've read any children's stories lately. But children anticipate a happy ending. It's like built in, right? And if there's, if there's one thing that is a happy ending that we, that we would only imagine, and yet is in the stories of, of, of children, the stories that are written, it would be a kingdom that would never end. And again, while, while we have a hard time perhaps imagining that, why? Because we've been in this world so long that everything in this world falls far, 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 far short of that. Everything has an ending. Uh, nations that begin a certain way change over time. But one day, Jesus Christ is going to come back from heaven, and when he does, he will inaugurate a kingdom that is out of this world, literally. People will all live to 100 all or more. There won't be any war. There won't be any starvation. That's going to happen here on earth. There'll be a human being, Jesus Christ, who's also God, eternal father after all he's called, and he will reign on that throne forever. And then the angels appeared to the shepherds, declaring good news of great joy. And let's go now to Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Imagine the wonder in Mary's heart when one day, as a virgin, she was, she was met by an angel from heaven, Gabriel. Imagine that. And yet somehow to a child, it all makes sense. Here's a messenger from God. Something amazing is going to happen. Of course it would be an angel, and only an angel that could really do justice to that message. And all this stuff we've already looked at this morning was all given to, the, to Mary and Joseph and the shepherds we're going to see through angels, angelic missionaries to us, the giving us the message from heaven. Let's take a look at this. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And children can imagine that and enjoy that and just understand that, that it's so simple after all. Of course there are shepherds with their, with their flock. A flock couldn't be there alone. They had to have some shepherds. And, and children can imagine, what, how cold was it that night? I wonder what else was going on. I wonder if they had any idea at all that the miraculous was about to happen. And yet it did, verse 9. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. That's what Christmas is. It's for all the people. All the people in the world, whether they believe it or not. It's for everybody. This Savior is for everybody. Again, I bring you news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there is born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Thousands and thousands. Can you even imagine that? Think about it. Here you are one night. You're in the dark. You're a shepherd with your shepherd buddies. And it's, maybe it's a little cold. Maybe it isn't. The stars are out. And all of a sudden, there's one angel that shows up with the miraculous good news. And then after he's done, thousands of angels appear in the sky. Again, that's the stuff of childhood. That's the stuff of, of could this ever happen? And it did happen. And then verse 12 again. This will be a sign for you. In other words, here's the message. It's it's unbelievable. But I'm going to tell you something now. You go into Bethlehem now and you'll find an indicator. You'll find a sign. You'll find evidence. There will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. God always does things suddenly when he wants to bring on something new. When when we believe in Christ, suddenly everything changes in terms of our relationship with the Lord. In terms of who we become. We were dead and we're made alive. Suddenly. We are given eternal life. Suddenly. And we can never lose it. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered. There's that word. All who heard about what happened to the shepherds in their fields, that there would be one angel with this amazing good news about a Savior, and then a multitude of angels singing in the hills and in the stars and in the sky, saying, glory to God in the highest. It's happened. So all who heard that wondered about the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things. If you don't think that the birth of Jesus was wondrous to Mary, you're just, you're just not connecting. I mean, here, 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 she's the one to whom he said, you're going to have a child born of God, and that child is going to become the waited, the waited for Messiah, and he's going to save people for their sins. And you're a virgin, and you're about to give birth. And you just heard about this amazing chorus of angels singing about the birth of your baby. I mean, imagine that. Hey, Hannah, was there, was there a multitude of angels singing? I mean, Elias is a great baby, but was there a multitude of angels singing there in that hospital room? No. Yeah, It only happened once. And it happened suddenly. Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in their heart, in her heart. And then the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as Ben told them. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What is that all about? Well, Jesus is the Savior, the one and only. There's only one way to God, and that's Jesus Christ and believing in him that he died for you. He is the Savior of the world, the one and only. The word Christ means the Messiah, the King of Israel. This is where Handel got this inspiration for that wonderful work, Handel's Messiah, right? This is the King of Israel who will be on the throne of David forever. All of that in that little word Christ. And then you want to know, Lord's the most amazing word of all. In the Old Testament, it was Yahweh. The name that that was given to be the friendly name of God. The family name of God for the people of Israel. In other words, God. When we say the Lord Jesus Christ, what we're really saying is God became man and he's the savior of the world and one day he'll be the king of Israel. That's what that's all about. So for the first time, suddenly and uniquely forever, there was one person who was both man and God. 
If you don't see the wonder in that, <laughs> you hope you get some more coffee real soon. There's one person born a little over 2,000 years ago who for the first time, and it'll never happen again, and he'll be this forever, and he's unique, a person who is both man and God. Turn to John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. <laughs> Jesus is both man and God. There is ample proof, not only in the word of God, (coughs) but also in his resurrection that he predicted ahead of time. That he was declared the son of God for all the world to see when he was raised from the dead by his father. There's ample, ample proof, by the way, that he rose from the dead. That he went into that grave and then on the third day he came out again. And that tomb was empty. In any event, John 1, 14. And the word became flesh. There it is. God became man and dwelt among us. He was here. He, he was with the disciples for three years. And we saw his glory. Imagine that. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, that's the stuff of childhood. That God is good. And that God understood how much we needed to know about him. So much so that he sent his son who became one of us while remaining God. God and sinners reconciled. (coughs) It's a time to wonder. But the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or as Colossians 2.9 says, For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. (coughs) That's a fancy way of saying what? God and man. Right? And and he doesn't just say God. He says what? All the fullness of God. As if if you could miss it. All the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. There's no missing that either. He's not not just a a vision. He's God in the flesh forever. Christmas is a time for children. You know, there are songs that urge us to see Christmas through their eyes. And we should. And it'll give us a fresh sense of wonder when we do. But here's what I want to say to you this morning. Don't stop at his birth. Don't stop, at the, don't stop with that fresh sense of wonder with his birth. Keep going. Look at everything about Jesus with the same sense of wonder that you enter into when you really enter into the story of his birth. Because everything about him is wonderful. (laughs) In fact, you can see the whole Bible if if you decide to through the eyes of a child once again. And it'll be fresh and it'll be new. You can take every passage and approach it with the simple faith of a child. And Paul said that's how we're to live as Christians, right? The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. How simple. But at the root of it, the story of the Bible is simple and wondrous. Think of it. In the beginning, God created what? Everything. I'll put it to you easily. Everything. And then he made his crowning creation. It's called man. And he made man in his very image and likeness. And it's interesting that when, when Jesus was born, once again... On planet Earth, there was somebody who was in the image and likeness of God because he is God. Originally, though, that first creation, Adam and the woman rebelled against God. And so began a long road of sin and evil and death. Yet all the while, the Lord kept providing a narrow path of hope and redemption. And then suddenly, in the fullness of time, he sent his son to be the savior of the world. How wondrous, how simple. It only takes the faith of a child to see it that way. To be simplicity itself, to be humble, to believe. Who doesn't, after all, want to believe? As adults, you know, we get bombarded with reasons not to. As we're going to see in a minute, there's something inside us 
that rebels against. Good news, if you can imagine. But for a child, he understands that there is, that even if he can't muster it up, there's something wonderful about relying and believing on something greater than himself. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 18, 4, you can go there if you want, but I'm just going to read, read it to you. We already saw it this morning. Whoever then humbles himself is this child. He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The, the disciples wanted to know. They, 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 they wanted to know, Jesus, you're going to set up a kingdom. And when you do, who's going to be the greatest? I hope it's me. Shouldn't it be me? <laughs> and God said, here's the deal. You know who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The one who approaches life by faith. The one who enters into things with the simplicity of a child. That's the one. The one who stays humble in the sight of this overwhelming fact that God is holy and we're not. And yet he loves us and he sent his son to die for us. And, and that's where, if we, if we can stay at the foot of the cross pretty much all the time and understand why Jesus came and we just, with simplicity and faith, just believe it, that's how we become great in the kingdom of heaven. We're studying the gospel of John right now and I challenge anybody here to go back and read it from the beginning. But I want you to read it as it's the first time you ever saw it. And I want you to see the whole thing through the eyes of a child for the first time hearing, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Boy, I want to know who that Word is. Think about it. And He became flesh. He became one of us. And the glory of the Lord shone through Him. Through him. Read it like it's the first time. Go to John. Go to any passage in the Gospel of John. But come at it new. Come at it simply. Come at it like a child would. I'll tell you, you will experience wonder and you will experience joy. For one thing, John is a book full of images that a child can understand. Oh, I know when you come here on Sundays and I preach out of, the, out of the Gospel of John, sometimes it can get pretty meaty and there's a lot you know, that I present to you. But don't ever lose the, the opportunity to step back and say, oh, I can understand that he was here in Jerusalem and then he went out and he went to the garden. But step back once in a while and say, we're talking about the night before where our salvation was achieved. And so anytime you can go to any passage and, and look at it through the eyes of a child, even the very images of the Gospel of John, think about it. He said, God is, is a father and Jesus is his son. And there's nothing mysterious about that when you look at it from the eyes of a child. Oh, sure, the theologians will try to say, well, you know, when he said father, he meant this and that and son. Okay, sure, we can go about it that way, but never lose the magic that Jesus is the Son and God is his Father. Because after all, that's something a child can understand, isn't it? And it's all, if, we, if we just stop the noise and the clutter in our brain and just, just say, you know what? It had to be that. It had to be. It, it, it has to be simple. Yeah, I want God to be a dad. And I want Jesus to be his favorite son because he's the one who went through everything. So that God would be vindicated. God is a father and Jesus is a son. When Jesus was about to leave, go to the cross, and then a few days later, ascend back into heaven, he, he told his disciples that he would send a helper to them. And we went through and we studied the Holy Spirit and all the places that he's written and all the things. Yeah, but how about stepping back as a child and say, He's a helper. He, when he goes, he says, I'm going to give you another helper. That's something a child can understand. He sent a helper in his place. And then he promised to return. And then he would never leave them again. And they all live happily ever after. See, that's something. The fact that Jesus would come back and never leave them again is something that a child can totally relate to. And Jesus called himself the good shepherd. 
right? Good shepherd. Well, just like the child can just imagine and enjoy the idea of sheep on a hillside and a shepherd taking care of them, watching over them. And then when they come to the Gospel of John, and we come to it as if it's the first time, and we see Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. What should that evoke? What should you be experiencing at that moment? You should be experiencing the fact that that what he's saying ultimately is that we're shepherd, we're sheep, and he's our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I will want for nothing. Cool. <laughs> right? A child would say, that's, not, that's great. I'm just going to stay there for a while. We don't. We want to move on to verse 12. And speaking of verse 12, please go to John chapter 10, verse 11. And again, go to this like it's the very first time. Like you've never heard it before. And that you're 10 years old. And you're at church and you hear the pastor say this. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. How did that make you feel? What, 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 how did it change how you saw God when his son came and said, I'm here as your shepherd? You know, sheep get lost. They get injured easily. They get scared easily. But don't worry. We have the, the good shepherd. Now go to the second part of verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And see, for a child, that enters into a place that might be a little bit uncomfortable, scary even. Why? Why does the shepherd have to die for his sheep? I don't like that story anymore. And so again, that's a great question, isn't it? It's a question for all of us. It's a question we might skip over if we just want to get to verse 12. But let's not do that today. Let's just step back and say, yeah, why did he have to die? After all, this is great. Here he he is with his sheep and he's finding water and food. And then one day he has to die. Why? Please turn to John 14, 15. Okay, so now we're in the upper room with Jesus and the disciples. And he says this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And, you know, with our sophistication as Christians who know the Bible, we'll come up with things and we'll say, you know, uh, which ones did he mean? And if I love him and I don't, does that mean I don't? All those kind of things. Okay, fair enough. But let's be a seven-year-old. Let's be a seven-year-old who understands that here's the good shepherd. Here's the one that's going to die for me. And he's saying, can you love me? And we're saying, oh, yeah. He says, good. So loving me, keep my commandments. And a seven-year-old, let's say, who loves his mom and his dad would say, of course, you do your best to try to obey them. And when somebody himself or his older brother or sister disobeys and is disrespectful to a parent, that seven-year-old gets that feeling in the pit of his stomach that says, this is bad. This is not right. So why did the shepherd have to die? It's because of who his sheep are. Because of who we were. We were all bad. You might say, whoa, this message took a turn, a serious turn now. Good. Good. Because that's why he came. See, the Bible says this. The Bible says that none of us is righteous by nature, by how we were born. None of us is righteous. The Bible says, and we can look back, I don't care who it is. I'm talking to you this morning, and you know it's true. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. That's why the shepherd had to die. And, you know, a little child has moments When he or she is so angry and frustrated, all the child wants to do is cry and scream and hurt somebody. And whether he or she says it or not, he knows at that moment he's bad. 
there's something wrong with me. I didn't really want to do that, but all of a sudden I couldn't help myself. And I was feeling rotten, and, and, I, and I, I just lashed out at somebody. That's not right. That's bad. The other thing about a child that he, that he, that he picks up right away is that when somebody is bad, they get punished. Hmm. They get punished. Well, the whole human race isn't just bad. It's really, really, really bad. The Bible calls the human race now, without Christ, desperately wicked. You know what that means? The human race ought to be punished. We, we ought to be in jail. We, we ought to be on death row for the ways in which we've offended God and rebelled against him. Now, at this point, I'm sure at least some of us are saying, you know, I'm not that bad. Well, I want to, I want to give you something that C.S. Lewis once said. He said this. He said something. He said something that's not on here. We'll get to, he, this, this is what he said. You don't, you don't have to say it. I'll get to you. He says, no, one know, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. To be good. Try it. Try to be good. Paul, found, Paul said, you know what? I look at these commandments. I've done a really good job. And all of a sudden he looked at thou shalt not covet. And the moment he saw that inside him, he just felt all this coveting just come out of nowhere. And, and he said, you know what? The more I try not to, the worse it gets. And, I, and whether you want to admit it this morning or not, you've had that experience. See, see, the thing about it is somebody who doesn't try to be good just kind of goes along with the flow, all right, and just says, well, you know, I'm not that bad. But the minute you take God's standard and then apply it to yourself, say, I want to do this. I don't want to disobey my parents. I don't want to be angry at somebody. And then the next time you're in the situation, I don't, I don't, I don't, ah, I don't, but I can't stop it. That's how you know you're bad when you try to be good. So, you know, this morning, if you don't think you're bad, why, maybe you're just not trying hard enough to be good. You'll find out. The Apostle Paul found out. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Yes, the Apostle Paul, we call him an apostle. He said at the end of, the life, of his life, he said, God will deliver me through every evil thing and I'll take me home safely to his kingdom. And when he does, there'll be rewards for me. He lived his life by saying, I live for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And yet, look at how he found out how bad he was. Romans 7, 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Bad. That's why the shepherd had to die. Nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. For the willing is present in me. I want to do good. I'm trying really hard. But I can't do it. The doing of the good is not. How many times have we been in a relationship that's gone bad? And for at least a moment we say to yourself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can to be a good person in this relationship. And then about an hour later, the same thing that bothered you in the first place bothers you again. Why? Nothing good dwells in us. That is our flesh. And before we became a believer in Christ, that's all we were. Flesh, 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 flesh. And nothing good dwells there. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, notice, I do not do. That's me. That's you. The good that we want, we do not do. I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing that I do not want, notice, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Wow, what a breakthrough that is. Because if you just stayed in the, that you're really, really bad, and there was no way out, and there was no way to separate you from all that badness, my gosh, 
what would we be? Where would we be? And you don't have to wonder. You just look around our streets at people that don't know Christ and the things that they're doing and the things that they want to do and they can't. And somebody who's tried to get off drugs or alcohol and can't. And if that's all you think you are, you could end up being, let me say it, suicidal. After, if, you're honest, if you know how bad you are. But then Paul follows it up with something that's, that's just great. And that is, he says, you know, if I want to do something, I'm not doing it. Well, I want to do it, and I don't do it. So I'm not the one doing it, really. It's sin which dwells in me. Now, it's still there, and it's still causing tons of trouble. And that, that's still bad, but you can separate in your mind, and that's the first step. But then he goes back and he says, verse 21, I find the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. And not just him, it's all of us. There's none righteous, the Bible says, not even one. And, and here's the thing, when you are this bad, I'm telling you, you only have one hope left. And by the way, we are, okay? But until we try to be good and know we can't and get to that place of frustration and say, I'm a wretched person. We don't look for this hope. But when we get there, we realize we need something and there's only one hope left. And here's the good news. You might say, this is a good news. You're talking about me being bad, nothing good in my flesh. It's incurable. But here's the good news. When you're in that place, that makes you eligible for a savior. When you're at the place where you know you're no good, and there's nothing you can do about it, it's kind of like a condemned building, right? So as long as a, you're the manager of a building, and you know, yeah, it's in, it's in rough shape, the plumbing's, but I think we can fix it. You know, sure, the walls are come tumbling down, but then all of a sudden, one day, the whole thing goes, and you're looking at it. You're looking at timber on the ground and plumbing that's been coming out of the wall, and what do we say? That building is condemned, right? That building is condemned. So what does that mean? It means you've got to build a new one. Somebody is in debt and in debt, and then one day he realizes there's no possible way I'm ever going to get out of debt. So what do we do? We declare bankruptcy. And then there's, some, there's a new start. So sometimes not until we get to the point where it's totally a, a wipeout. Can we step out and say, gee, what, what is there now? Well, there's only one thing. You, got, you need a Savior. And guess who that Savior is? Today, in the city of David, there is born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And a little child gets this, too. You know, most of us at some point in our school careers get in trouble. Maybe bad trouble. And we know that I can't escape it this time. The wrath of the principal is coming down on me. And then you have a little hope. And there's only one hope. And you know what the hope is? Dad will get me out of this. Right? Dad will get me out of this. I can't get out of it. I'm caught red-handed. But dad can do this. He can get me out. Maybe he'll send that older brother of mine to take the fall for me. In your dreams anyway, right? That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Well, here's the thing. This is shocking. This is exactly what God the Father did for us. He sent Jesus, his son. I want you to turn now to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 5. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. The human race was bad, bad, very bad. <laughs> I grew up Catholic. My dad grew up Catholic. And then we had this thing where we went into a booth, and there was a priest, like a, like, like a, like a screen between us and the priest, and we're supposed to tell him all our sins. <laughs> and my father had a priest. He said, every time I went in there, everything I told him, he would keep saying, bad, wicked, very wrong. <laughs> and, you know, it's not, not probably the right way to do it. But, you know, he had a point, didn't he? Because we're all, we all sinned. We all, think about it. There's a holy God who created us, and we, in a sense, gave him the middle finger, turned away and did it, and we kept doing it. 
And what did God the Father do? What did he do about it? He sent Jesus. Isaiah 53, 5 to 6. But he, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, was pierced through, notice, for our transgressions. Yup, we were in desperate trouble, desperately wicked, no hope, without God in our lives, and Daddy sent his son. And his son took the hit. He was pierced through for our transgressions. This was the answer. This is, what, this is what it meant to be the Savior. He was crushed. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening, the discipline for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging and whipping, we are healed. Verse 6. Here's the part a child can understand. All of us like sheep have gone astray. What does it say? It says, all of us. So that child was there, and he said, this is great. I'm, I'm, a, she- I'm a sheep on the hillside. I have my shepherd. And then he has to die. Why? Because all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And when a sheep goes astray, and it's a good shepherd, the good shepherd puts his life in danger to rescue that shepherd. And sometimes that danger ends in his death. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity, all of our sins, past, present, future, the iniquity of us all to fall on him, Jesus Christ. So here's the truth. In our flesh, we're all rotten. And there's not a darn thing we can do about it. But God, but God. I mean, that is the only answer. God is going to come on the scene and he's going to take care of the fact that we're sinners and we can't do anything about it. He loved us so much that he gave us his uniquely born son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes, like a little child would, in God's son, Jesus, listen to this, will never perish, will not come under the wrath of God, will not die forever, will never perish, but have eternal life. And after all, I'm going to say it again, that's the kind of stuff of a child. You know, a child gets to a certain age, and for the first time, somebody close, somebody he loved, or she, dies. And it's sort of, it's like a bolt out of heaven, and you say, and he says to himself, "I don't. This is horrible. This is not the way it's supposed to end. I wanted another Christmas with Grandma. Why did she have to go?" But we do, and so, so then at that point, a child might reach and stru- say, "I, give me a solution to this. I want her back." Well, here, here's the deal. He said that anybody who believes in Jesus Christ will never perish, but have eternal life. That's a happy ending. That's the kind of thing a child would would hope for. And that's the kind of thing that the world laughs at. But it's true. Whoever, like a little child even, believes in God's Son, Jesus, as their Savior, will never perish, but have eternal life. God's wrath, which we deserved, fell on Jesus as he bore our sins. And you know why that happened? So it would not fall on us. Please look at 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ's son, who knew no sin. He was sinless. Notice this, to be sin on our behalf. He put all of our sins on Jesus, in Jesus' body on the cross. The Father did it. The Father made him who knew no sin to be sin. Why? On our behalf, for our benefit. 
he stood in, in there and took the hit for us. Why? So that we, dead in our trespasses and sins, we, the enemy of God, with nothing good dwelt in our flesh, that we, notice this, might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, God looks at someone who has just believed in his son and says, in an instant now, in a moment, suddenly, he, that he or she believed that the only solution to his or her sins was my son, and my son died for them. And my son is, is the one who he went to the cross to vindicate, to say, uh, here's, God is holy. So a person who could never do anything about his sin instead turns to the only one who can and believes like a child would. And that one has eternal life. Once a year, we get to be like little children again, coming to the baby and the angels and the shepherds and the magi and that star. And whoever you are, no matter your age, no matter what you may have done, in the past, no matter how many times you may have ignored or rejected him in the past, he came for you. He, he said this. He said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. He died for the ungodly. Don't think for a minute that you've done so many wrong things that you can never be a Christian. <laughs> that is the exact opposite of the truth. He came to seek and save the lost. He came and he died for the ungodly. Anybody, anybody can be declared righteous in God's eyes by simply believing the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done. He died for the ungodly. You know what that means? He died for you. He died for you and he died for me. Right? Jesus died for sinners. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for me. So today we hear the angels' voices. We hear them proclaiming good news of great joy. Today in the city of David, there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And today I beg you, I beg you, on behalf of that child, Jesus Christ, to believe that Jesus, God's Son, died for your sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead on the third day. Now that's a happy ending. And you want to know something? When we believe that Jesus, God's son, died for our sins and was buried and was raised on the third day, and we do that, that's the greatest good news of our life. That's a happy ending. And just like everything changed in a moment when that baby was born, Everything changes when we believe in Jesus Christ. We just saw that God looks at us and he, he loves us, but he couldn't, he needed the Savior to sit, go to the cross and be the perfect sacrifice. And then we believe that. We, 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 we recognize the truth. And then he turns around and says, hey, I'm going to adopt you now as my child. Hey, I now forever and ever look at you and declare you are righteous in my eyes. Nobody can touch you. Nobody can condemn you. Nobody can ever bring anything up again that I will listen to. And I'm going to give you a life that never ends. Like that. Like the angels came in the sky. Just like that. But John 3.16 says, and I know a lot of people say, well, we go to that passage a lot. Yep. Because it's simple. For God so loved the world, that means you and I and everybody, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever, rich, poor, old, young, did terrible things, never wanted to listen to the gospel before, whoever simply believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And God said that. You can rely on it. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Simply, simply believe as a child would. That's what Christmas is all about. 
You know, little children instinctively root for happy endings. And my friends, believing in Christ and being reconciled to God is the happiest ending of all. God and sinners reconciled. That's what Christmas is all about. Merry Christmas, everybody. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, wow. We, 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 as a, when we look at things as a child would and we realize that you're our Father and you sent us your precious Son to die for us and, and, and he was raised from the dead by you, and all, you, all you're looking for is us to acknowledge that. Just acknowledge. Just believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior. You couldn't make it any simpler, Father. And, and, and we just, we just here, we're looking at the little child this morning once again, realizing why he came, understanding that we can approach our lives, the Word of God, everything with simplicity. And as if it was the first time. And for some of us, perhaps it was. It is. And because of all that joy, all of that wonder, we can then walk through and get all the way to Golgotha and then see him dying for us on the cross. And then we can go a little further and go to that tomb and see him rise from the dead. And then that morning star rises in our hearts as well. And we wait for him to come back. Thank you, Father. For all of this and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, I promised you we were going to sing another song. And I try to be a man of my word. Although the more I try to be a man on the word, the harder it is to be a man. Have you heard that today? The things I want to do, I don't do. But the things God wants to do, he does. So let's, have a, let's all stand up one more time. And sing a classic Christmas hymn.
But once again, I hope you have a fabulous Christmas. At this point, you're dismissed. Go out with joyful hearts like a little child would if he heard what we saw and heard today. God bless you all. Merry Christmas to everybody.